Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? Hello, Russ. I'm doing well. Tom is trying to toss me all sorts of mailing lists that I should be subscribed to just to keep <laughs> me busy because he thinks I don't have enough to do. That's yeah. that's yeah. what it really is. That's what I've decided. Pretty much. Yeah. Trying to reduce like. the volume of books, like get you to do something else so that there are less <laughs> books on the market for me to read. <laughs> I'm waiting. You got to finish them all. <laughs> I have I have read a lot of this. Are we going to talk about this every time now? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ethan Banks, for gifting us uh, intro material. <laughs> it's either it's either that or the plant. Which one do you want? <laughs> I think the plant's more interesting. <laughs> I don't have a lot of books, but I do have Russes. If I lean to my oh, left, you can wow. see right there. Oh, that's really nice of you. Very nice. Yeah, cool. it's behind my head, so you can't see it. So Yvonne is back with us. She is in her she shed again. I am. We're done with the move. It's reconnected. I'm now in my own space again, and I love it. That's really cool. Yeah, my wife and I were just talking about replacing the fireplace yesterday. So it's always something with the house. Always something. Always but something. we're we're taking a, a home improvement break because that's all we've done for the last two years. So. I don't know. Maybe if we'll that's do some allowed. outside stuff when the weather. Yeah, I'm not sure that's allowed. I, I'm right not now, sure if you own just, a house that you can yeah. have take a break from home improvement. <laughs> <laughs> not a long know. one. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you you can have a couple of weeks, but that's all you get. That's all you get. <laughs> so, so today we are back to old engineering quotes. Because why not? This is still a lot of fun. We might actually finish this, these quotes. I don't know. We'll see. There's still four or five left. So, so we'll have to see. Uh, okay. Let's start with the, the first one that I think we, we stopped here, which is there, these are some of the qualities of leadership, obvious and recognized as produced in the contest with nature. But there are other ones, higher ones, not so obvious. The qualities of moral leadership. Maybe you never thought of the engineer as a moral leader. And in the case of a, of naughty applied morals, I would sooner trust an engineer than any other man. This dude has, does not know a lot of engineers. That's, that's <laughs> the conclusion that I've come to from this quote. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I don't think I agree with very much of that statement. <laughs> Well, I, I feel like you have to do some massaging of the terms uh, to, to make it make any sense. I do. I will say that engineers more than others are focused on fact and what is. Um, and that that can be seen as a as a guidepost. But if you know, it, it depends on how we determine define that term moral leadership and uh and what we think of. I mean, this is this is a hundred year old text. So <laughs> I think it means, uh, you know, like words usage changes over time. I will say, though, that for engineers, it is all about fact and what is. Um, 
which is often a very wonderful quality, but also um, can sometimes deny the human element in yeah. in situations, which can be problematic. So, yeah, I think there is a there is this Taylorite. Well, nobody's going to know what I mean by that. There is this Taylorite idea or tendency in engineering that we need to guard against, which is kind of converting people into machines. Efficiency is king, and that that is problematic. Oh, you're you're talking about uh, Frederick Taylor, right? The yeah, management Frederick guy. Taylor, yeah, the, oh. the yeah whole management guru, which by the way really rules our world a lot more than we think it does. The modern world is very Taylorite in its outlook. Um, well, and uh, you know, it, it was it was it was Taylor's ideas that really fostered the Industrial Revolution and and created a world in which we could mass produce items. And he really believed um, and championed this idea that 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 there was a right way to do things and that you could break a system down into small repeatable processes and you could manage it within an inch of its life and eke more productivity out of it. Um, I think, um, I, I, and I think for a long time, um, the, the upper bound on that was so far in the future that, that maybe we believed it didn't have an end. But I do think in some ways we're seeing the end of that um, yeah. Yeah. type of, of squeezing efficiencies into our systems, at least when it comes to producing goods. Um, and, and then we took those same philosophies and and really that's what fostered the DevOps movement, um, agile software development and the, those those concepts were really built on the Toyota way, which was how, you know, to, Toyota took these Taylorite ideas and built processes around them to, to you know, to, uh, I, I guess, what's the word? Um, well, to just make them efficient. much more effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it just yeah. exploded them. Um, yeah, and... Um, and it's interesting because I feel like we're in an age now where we are almost recognizing a need for a human element that maybe we didn't um, 20, 30 years ago. But maybe that's also me and my my own biases and perspectives. So. No, I, I think it's true. And I think that to some degree, too, things like COVID showed us that you can actually make things overly efficient. That's part of the problem. We have so many issues with supply chain. Just in time is great for profit, but it's not great when there's a problem. And so sometimes, you know, you have to balance this idea of absolute efficiency against solving real world problems in, in better ways. Well, in that way, you could, I mean, because that's that's the trade off between efficiency and resiliency, what you're talking yes. about. Oh, uh, yeah, right. And um, I wouldn't say that morality is a system of trade offs necessarily. But um, it is it does require um, that you be aware of the effects of um, one decision versus another. So I could I could see how that could go with an engineering mindset. I mean, I, I do think. I, by the way, Tom, I do think that morality does is often wisdom is choosing the right set of trade offs in a given situation, and morality is 
can be absolute, but there are also times when you're kind of like, um, I just don't know enough about the future to know which one, which one to do. Mm. There are two good answers and two bad or two bad answers. And I don't know which one is really the right one because I just can't see into the future. So sometimes there are trade-offs. I mean, it's not, not always. There are sometimes when like morality is ethics are absolute. Like you do this, you don't do that. But there are some situations like where you're thinking, if I just knew what's going to happen 10 years down the road, I'd know what to do right now. Right. And this goes back to what, what uh, Yvonne was saying about what, what does the word moral leadership mean in this context? Right. Yes, exactly. It's uh, I, to close the loop on the, on the Taylorite conversation. I've been reading um, Adam Grant's book, Hidden Pot- Potential. And, and, and I saved this quote and even shared it with my team. And he says it's, and it's in the introduction to his book. He says, as more and more cognitive skills get automated, we're in the midst of a character revolution while technological advances placing a premium on interactions and relationships, the skills that make us human are increasingly important to master. And, uh, and I think, I think it is, it is the other side of the, of the engineering coin, right. Um, is to think about how do we, you know, ultimately we live in a world of humans and how do we interact in that world as a human, um, with, all the technology that we now have in place. Yeah. So the next quote, I think, by the way, is really awesome. This is something that that I struggle with personally, and I think it is something that is um, really important, not just in engineering, but in life, and it is this. Begin by forgetting yourself. All thought that is of self is some form of selfishness, and selfishness never produced anything better than more selfishness. It often breeds something worse. Genius is all right in its way, but it will not do your work. Get a right idea of work. Remember that time is the essence of most things and is not inconsistent with thoughtfulness. There's actually two different thoughts in there, by the way. There's one about time and using it efficiently, and the other is about selfishness. And I, I, I know that, you know, whenever I'm thinking about myself and what I want to get done or whatever... I tend to not be as effective and as just getting, just like helping other people and doing stuff as I am when I sit and I think about me. Yeah, I I, I find that I do much better work also when the uh, objective is outside of myself. I right. I yeah. feel like I, it's almost impossible when the objective is inside of yourself to really marshal your talents and abilities. It's like there's not enough distance in there to get up to momentum, you know. Hmm. Yvonne has a look on her face. Well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I've, I hear a lot about humility, um, and, and how we need to come into conversations with, with a, with a humble attitude. Um, and maybe it was C.S. Lewis. I think we attributed a lot of things to him that he didn't say, but, um, but, you know, but he also said a lot of things, but he said a lot of things. Yeah. that, That humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yes. And I think that is really at the core of, of what this is talking about. Yeah. And that if if what you are concerned about in your work is either your next raise or your next promotion or the accolades that you're going to get or how you're going to look when it's done, 
that takes like energy and creativity away from your ability to actually do the work and solve the problem. And I think so it, it, if you're focused on, Hey, there's this goal that, that we need to accomplish or this problem that we need to solve, or there are these people who I can help and impact In, in a lot of ways that unlocks your creativity and capability in, in ways that just don't happen when you're, when you're focused on yourself. So, um, I, I think this one's really important. Um, and in our specific Americanized culture, um, and even more so in tech, we are hyper individualistic. Right? What's in it for me? How do I increase my earning potential? How do I make an impact? And, um, and I think that actually um, can hold us back in, in what we accomplish. Yeah, definitely so. Definitely. I, I find that all the time. Now, this thing about time goes back to Taylorism, right? And this idea that time is of essence, the essence of most things, and it's yet it's not inconsistent with thoroughness. Um, get a right idea of work. You know, genius doesn't get your work done. Spending the time doing it gets your work done. And there's an awful lot of truth in that as well, that often we want to wait until we have the inspiration or we have the right tool or we have whatever it is to get it done. And sometimes you just got to say, no, I, I just need to get this done. Like I just need to go spend the time and get it done. Well, I, and I think we can tie this with the selfishness idea because, and, and I've, I've caught this in myself in the last few years um, that before I devote my time and energy to something, I want to have some sense that it's going to be successful. Um, and, and that, in some ways has kept me from doing things that I think I would have otherwise enjoyed and could have make a, made a contribution to that did become something, but I wasn't clear on it, you know, at, at the beginning. So I think, again, like sometimes you just have to do the thing and not know exactly where it's going to go or how it's going to lead. Like you, you see some opportunity or you think, oh, this is interesting or um, this could become something, but you, you never know. But the, the, the other option is to put your time and, and energy into something that's not interesting, that is a sure thing. And that over time can get boring. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to waste time. So you have to take risk at doing things that may seem like it's a waste of time a year from now because you took a risk and you went out and did something and that's what's going to happen sometimes um the um the the idea of time is not inconsistent with thoroughness and maybe another dimension of that is that if you start to do something i i feel like at some point a lot of engineering work um starts out as a cerebral activity um where you just certain you just sit and think about the problem space and try to figure out what's going on and then you come to some sort of conclusion about what a direction you need to go but then there's still a lot of uh, engineering work ahead of you before it's actually done and yeah. to me what this is saying is you you can't neglect all that work ahead of you um because if if you know if the task was 2% inspiration and 98% perspiration it's not okay to just say oh i had the inspiration so i'm finished 
no, you have to you have to keep following it because the value actually is in the ninety eight percent, not in the two percent. Yep, that's yeah. Genius is not you know is not is its own thing, but it's not necessarily going to get you anywhere just because you're a genius, right? Well, there's a lot of of emerging research um, in in organizational psychology where we 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 believe way more in natural talent than we should. And that the folks that we perceive as natural talents really just put in the work, you know, you know, there's the basketball players are, are a good example, like how many thousands of shots that they take in practice versus how many they take in the game yeah. and how, you know, and, and how that consistency is not necessarily born of natural t- talent. It's born of effort um, and, and consistent practice. And I think we we do ourselves a disservice if we believe either that we ourselves or other people um, lack a certain amount of natural giftedness, um, and and we focus on that as opposed to what it is to show up every day and do the work. Right. Like with basketball, you have to be tall to be a pro player, right? You just do. But being tall isn't enough. You have to turn that into something else. I mean, there are no five foot one inch <laughs> major league basketball players. <laughs> they don't exist because <laughs> you just have, you know, you have, you have the advantage of having height if you're a tall person, but that doesn't mean that you could just rely on the height to do what you need to do to be a good basketball player. It means you need to take what you have and go do more with it in order to actually become good at it. And I think that's a, that's a, um, that is what we miss a lot of times. And this actually, I'm going to skip the last quote because this kind of fits in with that same thought there is that theories are like weeds. They grow best where there is no other crop. I actually really like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Facts as determined by experiments are more rare and command a good price, even among experts. It's not only the second part that I like so much, it's the first part. Theories are like weeds that grow best when there is no other crop. Yeah, how much time can we spend theorizing because we don't do the work of understanding what's actually happening? And 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 thereby allow imagination to run wild independent of yes, real facts. Exactly, right? yes. Um. Yeah, I, that that sentence could stand alone. Theories are like weeds; they grow best where there is no other crop. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean theories are bad, but it does mean that before you get too far down the rabbit hole with a theory, you should have some sort of test to connect it to reality. Yeah, right. And and perhaps some sort of a process to determine what is reality and what isn't. Right. You should you throwing out theories, doing brainstorming is great, but at some point you've got to stop theorizing and do the work of figuring out which of these is true or not. Yeah, true. the um, the cadence that or the I guess the I don't know what to call it the cadence I guess that the Apollo program used I think is really great. Test and learn was their mantra, and so they made some theories. They built they built an actual thing. They tried to make it do what they wanted it to do. They saw it explode. They started over. Um, that was, you know, very, because they had a real objective and a real deadline, 
um, that was grounded in reality. So theories never became weeds in that in that instance because they were only useful as long as they were going to get a rocket to the moon. And so everybody was willing to abandon speculation and theories that didn't weren't useful. Right. Right. Well, and you know we we talk about this a lot, like labbing, right? Like you can you can sit around and theorize about how something will work for hours, or you could spend 30 minutes throwing it in the lab and testing it out. And then, you know, right, unequivocally know, whereas you didn't beforehand. Um, and, and there's always nuances of how a thing should work, but then there's the reality of how it's implemented and how it actually works. And those, um, although they're often connected, they're not necessarily the same thing. There's always unintended consequences and unexpected ways that people thought about it differently than you did. So the next one is, I think, kind of funny. These last two actually are kind of, kind of funny to me. Enforced idleness for an engineer is the greatest curse in existence. There ought be no excuse for a member of our profession having a single necessarily idle hour because he should always have laid out for the future more things professional to investigate and accomplish than can possibly be performed. Meh. I disagree <laughs> with basically all of that. <laughs> I think if you don't, if you don't, uh, you don't unstring the bow once in a while, you're, you're, you're going to eventually lose your effectiveness. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to say something else, but I, I reject this paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it's true in some degree, right? It doesn't mean don't have time off. It means in your professional time, you should even always then. have a plan. Yes. No, even then, so. even then, like at work, you should have some time where you're just like, what's, what can I play with? What can, and not all employers will support that, but like, even then you need to have something that's uncoupled from a business objective. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I, I agree with Tom. Like, I think, um, you know, I mentioned this to somebody recently. I don't think it was on this podcast, but you know, um, you, Wait, you uh, have another Lynn podcast Mac you're not telling us about? Uh, well, I, I was a guest. <laughs> Come on, guys. You're cheating on us? Yeah. <laughs> you guys are terrible. No. Um, what it was an interview with Lynn Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton, and he was saying he got the idea for Hamilton when he was you know, in a swimming pool, like in the Caribbean, uh, drinking a margarita, right? It's, it's that idea that he was disconnected, he relaxed, like, and then he had this burst of creative energy. I mean, how many times have we solved problems in that, in that, you know, state of sleep between mm -hmm. deep sleep yeah, and awake or in the shower or on a walk or, you know, and so I think, um, you know, our brains work um, even when we rest and sometimes work better when we disconnect. So I, I again, like, y you know, you see a lot of Taylor influence in, in this quote, but I think um, a lot of what we perceive as idleness is not really that it's margin and margin is important. So I, I think I think what Yvonne just said is is not that we need to sleep longer, but we need to sleep more often. Hey, I'm I'm up for that. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> if if sleep is involved, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. 
But I do think you're right. I think margins are important. And I think, you know, I have learned a lot by just playing around, just just reading things that I didn't expect or just doing things I didn't expect that would lead any place. It's just, oh, that's kind of adjacent to what I'm already working on. I'll just go look at that and see what happens. And you think, oh, my gosh, there's like there's this all this really cool stuff that comes out of that a lot of times. And I often say that invention and creativity primarily occur on the edges of things. They never occur in the central in the central realm, because what most of the time happens is somebody will invent something new, like large language models, and then boom, 50,000 people will jump in and start doing something with that. And they have the entire space explored within two weeks. And that two weeks you were working on a project and you couldn't work on it. So you lost that space. But if you go to the to the edges and you start thinking about other places that nobody else is looking at, not in the core, there's a lot more space to invent things. It's at the intersection of things where things come together that invention really happens. The, the, the interesting stuff actually happens. Well, and often the things we create don't necessarily do what we intended them to do. I think the best example for this is like the, 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 the glue that 3M uses on sticky notes, right? Mm -hmm. they, they weren't trying to invent sticky notes. They invented an adhesive that, 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 frankly didn't adhere very well it would adhere some but not not very well and they actually created a whole new market but that's not what they were intending to do right so sometimes like you know we get something other than what we set out to do but it's still incredibly valuable yeah sure all right well this is the last quote and this one i only included because i think it's just rather funny compared to all other professions Ours is by far the most desirable. Did you know that as an engineer? That yours is the <laughs> most desirable. The best. We're the best. We're the best. But the reasons are really funny. Lawyers of necessity lose one half of their cases. Therefore, about 50% of their total work is failure. <laughs> Fixed nice. mindset much? Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> half the half of the time, lawyers are retained to disguise the truth, or so to distort it as to win cases for their clients. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> Let's dismiss an entire profession. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, While well, the engineer is essentially a searcher after truth, see what he did there. I mean, that is like. Wow. Because <laughs> as if as if there wasn't an engineer who built their weapons of mass destruction, <laughs> right? Like what, what let's right. let's talk about how we're defining success here, yeah. right? <laughs> the doctor too often gropes blindly in the dark using tentative methods and relying upon nature to help him out of his difficulties. For medicine is anything but an exact science, while engineering comes nearer to being such than any other profession. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. If you have a doctor's degree, a physician's degree, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I go to the doctor, I'm going to be like, are you an engineer? No, I don't have an engineer working with me. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> My profession, my profession is more noble than yours. Just so you know. <laughs> Just so you know. Because right. I, 
I am searching for truth. <laughs> You're dabbling with nature. <laughs> the military man's main objective in life is to destroy while the engineers is to construct. Well, okay, but it's <laughs> still. Hang on, hang on. I, I heard a, an excellent quote this weekend um, that uh, related to this. It's not, it's sort of related. Um, so what's the difference between, um, oh, darn it, a mechanical engineer and a civil engineer? One makes weapons and the other one makes targets. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> the minister deals with things based on faith. Now, all three of us are going to disagree with that. But anyway, while nice. the engineering, while in engineering, all his works are governed by the laws of nature which he understands fairly well and with which he must comply to be successful. Now, see, that's the human, to the mechanical difference right there, right? All of that is what we were talking about before with the whole Taylorite view of the world and how, you know, humans are to produce efficiency and all that other stuff. And it's a, it's, it's, it's also like a very naturalistic view of the world. It, like, yes. You know, the, the, the things that are most meaningful are the things that can be touched and measured and understood objectively. Um, he, I, it's, it's probably a good thing that he didn't list psychology in his <laughs> list and try and describe it because I can only imagine what, what he would have said there about the, the endeavor to, to dive in and understand like the, the human, human psyche yeah. and, and all that, wow. uh, that makes us very complex um, creatures. Um, I, you know, I, I, what I will say is it's clear that the author loved engineering and felt <laughs> it was um, his highest calling in life. <laughs> yes. Um, and and pursued it as such. There's positive there, right? There's some yes. positive there. <laughs> but we can, we can be positive about what we do without denigrating every <laughs> other professional pursuit. <laughs> I thought there were all lawyers that that's hilarious. You know, they have to lose half their cases. <laughs> well, and, and, um, you know, not, not to mention like sales or, yeah. you know, or athletics. Like there, there, there are professions in which if you are successful 30% of the time, you're world class. Um, you know, it's, it's so it's, I don't know. Maybe, maybe engineering falls into that more than we think. I feel this re reveals more about the author than it does about what the author is saying. Uh, I guess I left that one in there because it was just so funny. It's like just gives you like there is another side to these older books, right? You can find yeah. wisdom, but don't think just because you found 15 or 20 quotes that are really wise uh, and still apply today doesn't mean that you can just take them at word and go, oh, I should just, you know. Right. Em embrace this this line of thought wholesale and it's you know it's it's and i think that is why when we every now and then run across a a work from 100 100 or more years ago that still has this timeless quality it's so remarkable right yeah. because so, so a lot of this is timeless wisdom but a lot of it is also anchored in a time and a mild mindset that that just doesn't apply um, in, in our day. So, 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 I mean, go back to Lewis. Lewis has a, uh, uh, an essay, or I suppose it was originally given as a radio address, perhaps, 
called On Reading Old Books or something along those lines. I believe it's in God in the Dock or Lewis at the Breakfast Table, or I can't remember exactly which, which collection of essays it's in. But he talks about how reading books is the only real way without actual conversation that you can have a conversation with another mind, with another person. And if you only read books from today, you are only having conversations with people who have the same blind spots that you do. That the joy of reading old books is, I mean, going all the way back to Greece and everything else, is that they had different blind spots than we do. And so we are learning what our blind spots are. I mean, we sit around and say, well, they had this blind spot. Oh, they were so silly. They believed in this or that. That's so dumb. We don't see it in ourselves. And so reading old books, reading across ages helps you to get out of your presentism, out of your constant, like where I am right now, and engage with minds from other times. And also to see the things that are consistent and the things that change. Um, yeah, I, I, it has been um, newly revelatory to me to think about Lewis and Tolkien, the era in which they wrote, what, what was going on in the world, like with World War II and all of that, and how that so informed their great works, whether you're either talking about the Chronicles of Narnia or um, uh, Lord of the Rings and those these sweeping narratives and really what was going on in the world that informed their writing. Um, and then also how to map that to what's going on in our world and maybe help us understand it and look at it through a different lens. So, yeah. yeah. We're, we are completely off other... the topic of engineering now, but, you know, <laughs> no, I'm no, always no. here for a conversation about books. So. No. <laughs> no, I mean, not really. It's not off engineering. I mean, I don't know. And maybe we'll find some other. Maybe I'll poke around, see if I can find some other old engineering books besides this one that uh, were have interesting things that we could pick up uh, about just stuff. I mean, there's old research papers you can go through, too, for the ACM and stuff like that that are that are fascinating to me. But anyway, yeah, so that's all of our quotes. I don't have anything, any other quotes for today. Yay. Yay. It's fun stuff. Nice. Yeah. Now we have to find other topics for the roundtables. All right. right. We can do it. (laughs) Plenty of stuff to talk about. Hang us on LinkedIn or on the socials if you want to hear us blather on about something. Yeah, that's exactly right. Even if you don't want to be a guest, you just want to hear the three of us talk about something. Ping us. Let us know. It's always fun. All right. So that's it. So, Tom, where can people find you if they want to? LinkedIn. See? Two souls. That's just too easy. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. We have to get you some more social media out there so that you can <laughs> have a longer splurge when you say that. Now, listen, I'm going to go over to Yvonne and say, how can people read? She's going to say LinkedIn. Well, I, I was going to, but yes, <laughs> no, you so you can find me on LinkedIn, Yvonne Sharp, uh, still on Twitter. At some point, I'm probably going to start calling it X, even though I will cringe every time I do it. Um, okay. But I'm Sharp Network there. I also do a little bit of writing over at Packet Pushers, so you can you can find me there. Yeah, cool. And Russell White, you can find me here at The Hedge at rule11.tech on Twitter slash X. I do have been doing writing for Packet Pushers recently. I'm actually starting a couple of new ventures that I'm working on that you'll probably eventually see or hear about. I'm starting a thing called Rule 11 Academy. I'm not really sure where this is going yet, but I'm going to do it and see where it goes. 
Who knows? Experimentals. And Tom's already volunteered to do 75% of the content. So Holy cow. <laughs> He's like, I did? Was I asleep? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> it's all that thing about not having any idle moments, Tom. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, if I remember correctly, he rejected that idea. <laughs> Indeed. Tom likes his free time. <laughs> That's the main uh, message of the podcast. Tom likes his free time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If you got nothing else out of the day, you got that. So <laughs> we understand that this world is a crazy busy world and that uh, your time is valuable. We live in an attention economy. So we thank you for listening to this episode of The Hedge. And we hope you'll join us next time. So we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.